I'm sure most of you would know who Mark Dupont is, but he's a good friend of ours. He's uh, run Mandela Praise Ministries or Mark Dupont Ministries for many decades now. He's a respected prophetic voice around the world, and it always is a privilege to have him here with us. So would you welcome him as he comes to share this morning? Thank you. Thanks. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. Please, you can take a seat. It's great to be with you again. Uh, it's always uh, a privilege to be in Australia. Uh, I travel extensively, as Andrew said, around the globe for many years now. You didn't need to quite say many decades. You could have said many years. <laughs> but uh, I like what Harrison Ford said in Raiders of Lost Ark. It's not the years, it's the mileage. But, uh, but uh, it's great to be here. And uh, I do travel extensively to Europe, a bit to Asia, Africa. But uh, people oftentimes ask me, because I travel so much, that if I was going to live somewhere else other than California, where would I live? And it's a tough choice between... It would either be Australia or South Africa, one or the other, and it's uh, great to be here with you. I want to jump right in, um, and I want to ask you if you've got your Bible to turn to, John chapter 2. I want to speak a little bit out of the first miracle Jesus performed while here on earth as a man. Most of you know the story. <clears throat> it says that uh, verse 1, on the third day, which is significant, but we don't have time to break that down. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. I understand you've got a wedding scheduled for this afternoon, and we just bless the weather to cooperate in the name of Jesus. But uh, it says the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said they have no wine. And Jesus responded to her, say, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And Jesus' mother had this uh, gift that I call uh, the gift of anointed nagging. <laughs> we live in a day and age where, you know, we're kind of a quick fix, instant microwave, McDonald's, culture in the Western world, and if we don't see something panning out or breaking loose immediately, we think, oh, God's not in it. But there's something to be said for, as Jesus said, seeking, asking, and knocking. And this is a whole other message I don't have time for, but in the relationship between God and each of us, he's not just a source, a course, or a force, but he's a father. And sometimes fathers, as well as... Uh, uh, Brides, they want to be, uh, bridegrooms, they want to be pursued a little bit. And so there's so many stories in the Bible about God initially seeming to be uh, holding off from answering prayer, but as people pursue him, it just comes across in the most amazing ways. And so she entered into this nagging thing with Jesus, and he had made this statement, woman, my hour has not yet come, meaning the true wine of the Holy Spirit would not be released until after his crucifixion and resurrection, the Holy Spirit. And she probably looked at him and said, Son, I know you just said something of incredible theological and eschatological and prophetic importance that went right over my head. I don't have a clue. But we have a need right here, right now, at this moment. Would you do something about it? And so in faith, she told the servants to fill these six uh, 
water pots up. They were ceremonial washing pots used for the Jewish rites of purification. And each one of these uh, washing pots held between 20 and 30 gallons of water. So you multiply that times six, there was somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons there. And you know the story that Jesus turned the water into wine. How many of you know that's an awful lot of wine? Everybody would have been going home in Uber, you know, from that, <clears throat> from that wedding. And so he said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. There's a lot to be said about being filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but he said to them, now draw some of it out and take it to the master, the steward of the wedding, the person handling everything. And they took it. And it says in verse 9, when the master of the feast tasted the water, which had now become wine, he did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master called the bridegroom. And I just want to say this to you about breakthroughs that God has not only for the church, but God breakthroughs God has for your life. That in this whole art of faith that God calls us to live by, we pray for certain things, and all of a sudden you connect with God, and you realize even though you don't have it in hand, you've got it. He's answered that prayer. Faith is the substance of things not seen. And so Jesus said, dip in your pitchers, and they did it. They filled them up, and they're filled up, but it's still water. But somewhere in the journey between going from that back room into the main room where the wedding party was being held, the miracle took place. And I don't want to, again, I don't want to go off on a whole other tangent here, but I can tell you so many of the creative miracles I've seen God do, especially with people with diseases and messed up backs and eyes, most of them do not happen immediately, but over the next few hours and days, and that's a picture that first we respond in the spirit, in our hearts, and walk in obedience, and then the breakthrough comes. But that, as I said, uh, we don't have really time to develop that. But he called for the bridegroom, and... He said to him, normally, people at a wedding serve the good wine first. And then when everybody's uh, taste buds are a little bit dull, they bring out the ripple, the T-bird. Um, I was thinking about this. You probably don't use the terms ripple or T-bird. In, in North America, it's what the, the guys on the streets buy. You know, it only costs a dollar or two a bottle, and it's terrible. You know? I, I wouldn't know from experience. I'm just telling you what I've heard over the decades. <laughs> Uh, when I was in high school, there was this thing called Boone's Farm, and it went for a couple of dollars, and not me, but all my friends in high school were buying it by the bucket, and it was, it was just, it would put you in the hospital, it was so bad. But, you know, there's, the, the, the steward is saying, normally, the really good wine is served first, and later on, you know, the cheaper stuff is brought out. But most of you know what he said. And in most translations, it reads, you have saved the best for last. I've researched this in uh, probably close to 20 different English translations when I've spoken in countries that use like uh, Mandarin Bible or Danish Bibles, Norwegian, German, all over the globe. Pretty much all the versions read the same, you have saved the best for last. But in the original language, that's not actually what Jesus said. What he said was, you have saved the best for now. And I know that this is a subtle distinction, but I believe it's a very important distinction because I believe that God is calling for an awakening in the body of Christ in the Western world right now that he's a now God. 
And in the Western world, as a, uh, comprised uh, as opposed to many developing nations and different cultures, such as in the East and different places, we spend so much of our life preparing for a future moment. If you're in school, high school or university, college, you're going there not just to study for the most part, but you're going there to get a degree to prepare you for a future job or future uh, endeavor. If you're working at your job, you're working so that in a week, two weeks, a month, wherever that works in commission or salary, you're going to get a paycheck. And then you work hard at your job, maybe so in the future you can buy a house or get this or that or have a good retirement. And, of course, that's very biblical. God calls us to plant seeds that bear fruit in the future and prepare for the future. I'm not saying that's unimportant. But what happens in the Western world mindset is we get focused so much that the breakthrough's down the road, the breakthrough's down the road, the breakthrough's down the road. And in contrast to that, Jesus said, my, my, my food right now, what I feed on at this moment, is to do the will of the one who sent me and accomplish his work. And he continued on in John 4, 35 there saying, Do you not say there are yet four months left before the harvest, but I tell you to lift up your eyes, the harvest fields are ripe right now. And uh, I don't have time to develop this but, or tell you the stories, but over the last two, two and a half years from Jerusalem and some large gatherings of international gatherings where we've had literally four or 5,000 people there a couple of years ago to similar things in Germany and Switzerland, my home church, different churches in England and North America, just over the last couple of years, we've been seeing amazing breakthroughs of the, the weight of God's presence, the glory of God and the power of God, and all sorts of things happening. And I believe we're on the cusp of something, and, but I believe it calls for a shift, <clears throat> not just in our thinking, but in the understanding that right now, at this moment, in this realm, this is the only time we can experience the presence of God. God can transcend time. He's the master of the past, the present, and the future. That's not an issue. But you or I, we can only experience the fullness of relationships at this moment. As I look back at 30, almost 38 years of international ministry and 38 years of marriage as well, um, one of the uh, regrets I have in looking back of the years is so much of what I do, you know, administratively preparing for conferences in the future, working on books that are going to be prepared for the future, working on messages that are going to be a future time. There's been a degree, and this is probably true of many of us, where uh, I, I may have uh, neglected my kids a little bit growing up or neglected my wife, and not in a serious way. My wife and I have an incredibly good marriage. Our kids are all doing well with the Lord. We have great relationships. But I'm saying that it, it's just so much a part of our culture. And right now is the only point in time in this realm that you can experience the Spirit of God. Right now is the only point in time that you can experience the peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. And I fully understand some days are much more stressful than other days. Some seasons and weeks are much more stressful than others, and we, we get into almost a survival mode. If I can just get past this, then the breakthrough's going to come. But, you know, the reality is it's not just at the point where things are easy or blessed or relaxed, but it's in the midst of all the difficulties 
that we need the peace of God, we need the presence of God, we need the power of God. And one thing I've learned about love and the kingdom of God is love is not always convenient. <laughs> love is not always convenient. We have a, 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 an amazing testimony. It actually happened about 12, 13 years ago. I didn't find out about this until about three years ago when I was back with that church. It was a church in California. And uh, three years ago, the father and his now 23-year-old son walked up to me and told me the story. But we've shot a, a video a documentary on this particular miracle that uh, some 13, 14 years ago now, uh, we'd done four nights of meetings in a church, prayed for lots of people type of thing where we weren't getting out of the room to about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And after the fourth night, when things were over, I was just really tired and wanted to get out of there and get back to my hotel, may have something to eat. And uh, I'm, I'm just wiped out. And I'm walking out the door, and this father walks up to me. And at that time, he had a 12-year-old son. And he said, do you have one more prayer left in you? And I thought, really? no, not really. <laughs> uh, and I said, what do you need prayer for? And he points at his son, and he said, my 12-year-old son is in the top 98 percentile of epilepsy, and he's becoming a basket case. He's suffered for this for five years. He, uh, usually in most weeks, he has seizures two to three nights a week, and he's, we've had to pull him out of school. He's on heavy medication. He's never going to have a normal life, and everything is just, you know, falling apart. And do you remember the story about when the four friends carried their fifth friend, the paralyzed man, to the meeting Jesus was at, you know? It says something very interesting. It says that Jesus saw the faith of the four friends. There were other times where obviously Jesus was carrying that gift of faith, like when he walked up to the man at the pool of Bethesda, do you wish to get well? The man had been lame for 38 years. And he said, well, you know, I try to get in the waters, and the angel stirs the waters, someone always gets in the healing ahead of me. But Jesus said, pick up your bed and walk. And the man, you know, man didn't necessarily have faith, but Jesus had faith for him. But on this occasion, Jesus saw the faith of the four friends, and that man had an amazing uh, healing. I, I think that story is interesting. Have you ever read that or thought about it and wondered, did that man even want to be there? You know, he could have just been having a good old time by the fire or watching a DVD or something at home, and all of a sudden his four friends grab him, throw him on this cot, and they take him out, and he says, hey, what are you doing? Oh, we're taking the revival meeting. I don't want to go to no stinking revival meeting. But there he is, and his four, his four friends had faith. And I didn't have faith for this guy, you know. We'd prayed for so many people last four nights. And, but I looked at the father, and I could see the father's eyes. He was filled with faith. And so the father actually says this in the video testimony uh, that we shot three or four years ago. He said, Mark, you then prayed for my son, but he said, I was angry with you because you only prayed 10 seconds, less than 10 seconds, and then you grabbed your bag and walked out the door. And he said, you put your hand on his back and you said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of affliction called epilepsy, be healed, and you are gone. And he said, in the, it tells us in the video interview, he said, that's it. I bring my son four nights in a row when he should be home in bed because that's when he gets seizures, thinking you'll have a word of knowledge and there'll be this great prayer and breakthrough. And all I get is like this eight, ten-second prayer. And he said, I was angry. But that was the first week in over five years he had no seizures. And after five weeks of no seizures, the 
neurologist they'd been going to for many years did every test he could think of and said, I can't understand this, but I've never seen or heard anything like this, but I cannot find a trace of epilepsy. That, <clears throat> that young man, they, it took two years to slowly uh, break off his heavy medication as it was so severe. But rather than turning into a vegetable, he learned how to swim. He made the water polo team in high school. He made the swim team. He learned how to surf. And uh, when I met him at 23 years of age, he was a United States Marine that trained young recruits in physical fitness. His whole life got turned around for me at a very inconvenient time. But that's what love is. And if we are constantly putting off love, if we're constantly putting off the demonstration, the expression of love, if we are constantly putting off seeking first the kingdom of God this day, not only to our family members, but those around us at work, our neighborhood, there will be really no place to experience the kingdom of God in this realm. Because as the Bible says, today, in Psalm 118, today is the day the Lord has made. Now, when that was prophetically written, that was really speaking about the time of Jesus coming. But as many Bible verses and prophecies speak of, there's a secondary, third, sometimes fourth level meaning. And the point is, no matter what you're going through, no matter what difficulties are facing you or your city or your nation, this is the day the Lord has made right now. Today's the day for breakthrough. And if you're constantly thinking, my, lo my, my load is going to get lighter in a week, in a month, in a year, and then it'll be time. You know what? You'll never get there. Because God is always wanting to deal with, deal with us as a now people. Jeremiah was lamenting the fact of the destruction of Jerusalem, and so many people had been taken off into captivity. He was just overwhelmed with grief for what had happened to his people and his city. But he said this in Lamentations 3. He said, one thing I will not forget is God's compassions, his mercy, are new every morning. New every morning. I, I was <clears throat> relating a couple of nights ago in the meeting that 2017 was the most challenging year I've ever had in my life. I had developed uh, from, I do a lot of trail running at home, and I'd cut my lower right leg on some rocks in, in early in March of 2017, didn't take care of it. And for 10 months, I had this big open wound in my lower right leg, and the nerves were right on the edge. And for 10 months, I lived in constant pain, and I went through many months of almost being an insomniac, not being able to sleep. And there were so many projects and things we intended to do, we couldn't do anything. And I was able to fulfill some of the ministry obligations, but it was just a nightmare having to change the bandages three, four, five times a day and not being able to sleep at night. It was just a, a critical time. But one thing I, I felt the Lord challenged me, and especially in the night, because, you know, at daytime you can be a little bit distracted with things, but at night just laying there, and sometimes I'd wake up two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, my, my whole body would be writhing in pain from my, uh, my, the nerves there. And I would get up and walk the streets uh, in my neighborhood in the middle of the night and uh, walking with a limp, but uh, to get the blood circulating would alleviate the pain a little bit. <clears throat> but I began to do this over and over and over again. I never turned into a mantra, but it became my prayer. It became my lifelong and um, lifeline to the Lord, and I would sing it to the Lord in the middle of the night, walking the streets. Psalm uh, 
my mind's gone. Psalm 105, I think it is. Psalm 103, somewhere it is written. But bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. He not only forgives me of all my iniquities, but he heals me of all my afflictions. He redeems my life from the pit, and he crowns me with loving kindness, and he renews my youth like the eagle. And after being a runner for over 40 years, sometimes I felt like I can barely walk. You know, is this it? You know, uh, what's going on with my life? But I hung on to the call that God really impressed upon me in the midst of that pain, in the midst of the discouragement, seeing specialist after specialist who couldn't help us at all. They would help a little bit, but not much. I, I hung on to the promises of God that right now, this is the time of breakthrough, whether I'm feeling it or not, whether I'm seeing it or not, but God's promises are right now. And to make a long story short, we just had an amazing <clears throat> breakthrough that happened in December of that year. And January 1st of 2018 was the first pain-free day I experienced in about 10 months. But right now, right now, this moment, this is the day for the church. This is the day for you and I to realize God's love, His Spirit, His promises are real today. And as David said in the Psalms, in the Shepherd Psalms, Psalm 23, <clears throat> Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of our lives. And if we're waiting for tomorrow, guess what? You'll never get there because when you get to tomorrow, it's still going to be today, isn't it? Today is the day to seize hold of. 1 Peter 4.8 is such a, such a powerful statement of Peter's. It says, above everything else, above everything else, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. And if you're waiting in your marriage for your husband or your wife to become perfect before you're really going to give her or him your whole heart, guess what? It'll never happen. If you're waiting for your family, for everybody to get perfect before you really express love, it's not going to happen. If you're waiting for the perfect church to really start serving God, guess what? There is no such as perfect church because people like you and me go to those churches. <laughs> if you're waiting for the perfect opportunity <clears throat> to really start seeking first the kingdom of God, it'll never be there. But today is the day for love. Today is the day to say, Lord, you have created this day. Today is a kingdom day. Today is a life for breakthrough. Today is a day for blessing. I've been <clears throat> challenging churches the last month or so, individuals in those churches. <clears throat> Do you have this 30-day uh, whole diet in Australia? Has this hit Australia? Good. It's, it's a plague. It's a plague. It's, it's just sweeping all over uh, the United States. My wife and a couple of my, two of my daughters have been on it. Their 30-day whole diet where, you know, you don't eat any carbs, you don't eat any, you know, sugars, you don't eat any processed food, any grease. And, you know, I've come up with a simpler plan. Just eat what you want to, but bless it <laughs> before you eat it. I know all the dietitians among you are just saying, no, we're going to throw rocks at this guy. But anyway, uh, you know, 
<laughs> but that's my take on things. But it's gotten so bad that even uh, a, a national chain of Mexican-American food has the 30-day whole burrito. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> give me a break. It's, it's gotten that bad. My wife and my uh, uh, two daughters and one of our daughters lives with us, and I, I just had to endure this thing. But I've been challenging people to go on the 30-day day of the Lord diet. And what I mean by that is, uh, let me preface it by saying there's two types of people in the world, not people who say the cup is half full, the cup is half empty, but there's people who wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord, and then there's people who wake up and say, good Lord, it's morning. I'm, I'm that second category of people. I'm a night person. I'm at my best like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. These people who wake up bright and chipper and cheery, they are so irritating to me. <laughs> a lot of times, you know, living where we live in California and trying to get to Europe to do a conference, I've got to take a, like a, a 5 o'clock in the morning flight out of San Diego. And I get to the airport at like 4, and these people behind the counter... Hi, sir, how are you? Well, I'm miserable. Thank you for asking. Why are you smiling so much, you know? But uh, I, I've been really challenging myself for a, a number of years now to uh, drag myself out of bed when I wake up, look in the mirror, and I say, Mark, rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. It doesn't matter whether I'm getting on a 14-hour flight from California to Australia and am I going to survive that or what responsibilities or what things do I do that I don't really want to do? But right now, this is the day that the Father, in his love, his care for you, his designs for you, his purposes for you, and even those seasons where you don't see breakthrough eminent, whether you realize it or not, he's preparing you for breakthrough. As Jeremiah said, God knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper your soul, not plans for destruction. And especially in those times where you feel breakthrough is nowhere near, you need to know you're in a season of preparation, and you've got to seize that day. And so I've been encouraging people to take 30 days, and when you first get out of bed, look in the mirror and proclaim over you, your family, your marriage, your workplace, your day. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, that no matter what destruction you see happening around you, to say one thing I know, God's compassions are new for me this day. Psalm 23, verse 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me today no matter what the people around me are doing. And then Psalm 118, verse 24 this is the day the Lord has created in all of his kindness and good intentions for me. I'm going to rejoice in it. And then the last thing I do is I proclaim over myself 3 John, verse, uh, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love God has given to me that I should be called the child of God. No matter how much discouragement you may be facing, if you've given your life to Christ Jesus, the reality is you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. You have a seat at the Father's banqueting table that nobody can take away from you, not even the devil himself. And I want to tell you that just as they looked around them at the wedding and they thought, oh, the wine's gone, 
It's never too late for the purposes of God. I want to tell this story just because I looked over and saw Paul. and It's Alice, right? Alice over there, and I, I realize you're a few days overdue. But uh, there was a church I was <coughs> invited to in the Midwest United States a number of years ago to do a three- or four-day conference. And actually, it was three churches. It was a Vineyard Church, an Assembly of God Church, and a Baptist Church all came together for this conference. And they'd been doing a lot, these three churches, meeting together for special worship times, times of prayer, and really believing God for revival. And we were doing Sunday morning first, Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night. And I got there Saturday night, and I uh, spent some time in prayer in my hotel room and getting ready for Sunday morning. And the Lord gave me something that I've never had sensed before, uh, and at least this way. The Lord had said, tell these churches that they are pregnant with revival. But tell them the baby's not in... And by the way, this is not prophetic about you. I, I need to cut that off. I don't want Paul chasing me out of the room here. But the Lord said, tell them the baby is not going to come the way the baby revival is not going to come the way they're expecting. And then the Lord said the last thing, tell them that they need to learn to elevate the heart above the head or they're going to miss the revival. And so I preached that Sunday morning and uh, with the three churches together in a couple of services. And I also did a variation of it Sunday night. Well, one of the senior pastor of those three churches, his daughter, was uh, nine days past due with their first child. And so on the Monday, now being day 10, they took her to the hospital, got her all set up, and uh, went to induce labor. And they had the strap around her stomach to monitor the baby's heartbeat. And again, this is not about you, so I don't know <laughs> nothing about you. But the baby's heartbeat stopped. And they went into emergency scenario. The nurses and the doctor came running in. The doctor looked at her and said, I want you to get on your knees in the bed and put your head flat on the bed. You need to elevate your heart above your head. And when she did that, when she physically, literally, as a symbolic picture of what was going on with those churches, as she elevated her heart above the head, the baby's heartbeat came back, and that baby was born just completely healthy, completely healthy. But the whole thing did not come the normal way they thought it would. And I tell you that, that story because sometimes we can be in those situations and we think, wow, it's so late, have we missed it? We've run out of what we thought we had. But Jesus, in the Father's purposes, as the Holy Spirit moves, he is always right on time. He is always right on time. It may seem late to us, but he's always right on time. I hope you're not, you're not discouraged there, are you? Good. <laughs> She's a woman of faith. So. I want to close by, uh, uh, and, and I know this will be, what I'm about to tell you is going to be really exciting because I know you all seriously love American baseball. <laughs> now, you probably feel about American baseball like I feel like uh, these five-day cricket matches. I can't even tell when it begins and when it ends, you know, it's just so stinking slow. But anyway, there's a, uh, there was a famous movie about American baseball, and I'm not going to go into it, but, uh, you know, discourage you with all the details. But it was about uh, 25 years ago, so ago, and uh, 
and it's about some past coming to life of some of the original famous baseball players from the 1920s, and uh, the whole scenario is called Field of Dreams. But one of them makes this statement that has stuck with me powerfully through the years. And he said this about a moment of opportunity, about a moment of breakthrough. He said, it was like coming this close to your dreams and then watch them brush past you like a stranger in the crowd. At the time, you don't think much of it. You know, we just don't recognize the most significant moments of our lives while they're happening. Back then, he said, I thought there'd be other days. I didn't realize that was the day. That was the only day. And I can tell you, being not only a student of revival, but having participated in some uh, internationally five revivals that have not only touched cities, but sometimes nations and beyond that, that oftentimes I talk about to some leaders that they sense something was happening, but they didn't pursue it. And later on, they really enjoyed the benefits, but they weren't, you know, so to speak, able to catch that first and best wave that came in. And if we go through our life thinking there'll be other days, I'm not saying God won't love us, God won't bless us, God won't care for us. He absolutely will. But his peak breakthroughs and uh, times of just seeing the glory of God move and touching not only our lives and our families, but our church and our culture, there's a danger we could miss that. It was like coming this close to your dreams and then watch you, watch them brush past you like a stranger in the crowd. We just don't recognize the most significant moments of our lives while they're happening. Back then I thought, well, there'll be other days. I didn't realize that was the only day. When we lived in Toronto, Canada for about six years, I, I still go back to Toronto uh, and minister. I was just there a few months ago. But when we lived there in the summer of 95, I received an invitation to do two nights in a uh, small community about uh, uh, two hours north of Toronto. It was a small kind of rural community, and they had about six or seven churches come together for these two nights. And... Um, and I, I, normally I travel about 120, 140 days a year, but in 94 and 95 with the outbreak of the Holy Spirit in Toronto and what was happening internationally, I traveled, I was traveling those years six, seven months. It was just uh, almost destroyed us. But it was an amazing time of seeing what the Lord was doing. But in retrospect, I allowed myself to be so busy, I wasn't always... I wasn't necessarily going through the motions with ministry, but I wasn't always really paying attention to what the Lord is doing. And I went there uh, for these two nights of meetings, drove that two hours up and got set up. And in those two meetings, we had an amazing number of healings and miracles take place. It was amazing how many happened. But, you know, I was glad for the testimonies of the second night, but I just really wasn't grasping what the Lord was doing. And there was even some talk that some of the pastors had with me that maybe we should add a third or fourth night. And I had the opportunity because I was going to be home for a while. I could have stayed longer. But I just thought, yeah, you know, well, praise God, we've had some good nights. Well, I got a call from some of the pastors about uh, two or three weeks later. 
in at least three of the seven churches, they had members of their church in supermarkets at different times and stores where complete strangers, and oftentimes they sensed there were non-Christians ahead of them in line, talking to other people, did you hear about the miracles that happened two weeks ago at that Shadow Lake Community Church where we met at? And particularly among the North American Native uh, Indian people, there was a reservation there, and a number of them came to those meetings. So many of them got healed that a number of them that week, they just took it on their own. They went house to house to house throughout the reservation, knocking on doors, testifying, telling their neighbors what Jesus had done, healings and miracles in their legs and backs. And I, I realized as the pastor's called me and told me this a couple weeks later, and as I prayed about it, I'd missed a vital opportunity there. And I'm not saying we need to turn every set of meetings into a marathon, but that's one of the greatest regrets I have of uh, international ministry last 30 years of, 38 years of realizing there was most probably an opportunity to really see something break out in that community that just could have shaken the whole community, like some of the great healing revival, uh, revivals of the 50s, 40s and 50s. And, you know, God is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. There's forgiveness, and we go on, we learn from that. But I tell you that because we can just get so stinking preoccupied with going through the motions, we can miss out that today is the day the Lord has created. And I believe as, you know, uh, Vision Christian Fellowship as a church, that for years now, God has been grooming you and you're on the cusp of something. And even this morning and uh, Friday night, Saturday night, and in the seminar, we, we've had a sense that God is up to something with you all. And it's not just a matter of Andrew and the leaders encouraging, coaxing you, praying for you, but it's you as a church, as a people saying, Lord, this is the day you have made. Your compassions are new, and we're going to run hard after it. Are you still alive? Yeah. Let's stand. Can I have the band? Come on. Oh, stay seated for a moment. Where is, as, but the band, come on up. Where, where is that uh, keyboard player? Where is she at? There you are. Uh, come on over here. What is your name? Beth. Beth, Beth I, I told Andrew the other night that when you were leading worship a couple nights ago, uh, I felt like the Lord said this to you. There is a really strong... A prophetic thing coming upon you, but it's not only prophesying, but it's tied in with what you're going to be doing in the future with the keyboards and singing. And like uh, the Levites of the time of David, that they carried the ark of God, the glory of God in the city of David, but they were singing and making a loud, joyful sound upon the instruments. There is a, a, classical, a classic Levitical anointing upon you to do what you do. And I want to encourage you to uh, when it comes to studying the prophetic and knowing the voice of God and being aware of that, I believe God's going to use you. Uh, not, you will process over people in normal situations, but God's going to use you in those keyboards and singing prophetic songs and opening the people of God up to uh, some fresh things God has for you. So I want to encourage you to pay attention to that in your life. And also, um, I felt like the Lord gave this to me this morning for you too. Uh, could Martin and Roz, could you just stand up and uh, maybe some of the folks around could just uh, stretch a hand of blessing and get near them. But uh, uh, Martin and Roz, I felt like the Lord told me this this morning about you, 
that God's about to open a new chapter yeah! for you. And one of the two of them is excited. <laughs> but uh, I, I felt like the Lord said this, particularly upon you, Martin, there is going to be a level of favor uh, nationally and internationally that you have not seen for a long time. And you have been so, the two of you have been so faithful at the healing rooms and been diligent to, to, to grow and develop and train people in healing. But the Lord says, you have sown in faithfulness and now you're going to reap for it, uh, reap from it. And like that uh, man that had been faithful to the five talents, the master said, well done, you've been faithful in a few and here's more besides now entering the joy. And I believe, Martin, that uh, I, I don't, we haven't talked in a long time. I don't know if there's been struggles or whatnot or discouragement, but I feel like the Lord is saying this to you, that the next many years are going to be marked by joy and favor upon you and in many different situations. But for you, Roz, I, I felt the Lord said this, that you're coming into an increase of the prophetic in your life. You're going to come into a, an increase of not only giving prophetic words, but seeing for people and leaders particularly things that are coming and the word of the Lord, not just words of the Lord of an individual, but at times the word of the Lord to churches and different groups. And uh, uh, maybe a couple of you can uh, just lay hands on them and bless them. But I feel like the Lord is saying this, that it's a new season to lift up your eyes, that Jesus is the lifter of your heads. Lift up your eyes and behold, for the two of you, the harvest fields are very, very ripe right now. They're ripe. So let's all stand. Maybe the two of you can just pray for them a little bit. And let's go back into worship and see what we do here.